0: Hi, this is Cheryl Welch, an editor at wwpmedia.com, where our friend Rachel is a frequent contributor. And welcome back to I Wasn't Always Like This, an uplifting podcast about depression.
1: Don't give up. Don't give in. It's just the journey. Darkness grows the
0: seed. Season 5, From There to Here. Episode 5, Follow the Yellow Brick Road, Part 3. The Ongoing Lesson of Depression. How to keep living and even have moments of joy while still experiencing the hum underneath it all. By early 2014, it was clear that the relationship with Shannon had come to an end. We both knew it. I simply didn't want to admit it. Still reeling from the loss of both Jimmy and Carl, I just wanted to know that something could last. As dysfunctional and often painful as it was, I did not want to give up on the relationship. In retrospect, which is always where things look clearer, it made perfect sense that we ended. And it also made sense how it ended. At the time though, it just felt like one more loss being added to my personal history of losses. Here's the gift though, because there's always a gift. The time with Shannon was not wasted. In the course of our relationship, I learned flexibility, adaptability, patience, and acceptance. I also learned what it looks like when I throw my true self to the curb in the desperate pursuit of a dream of something normal. Normal, of course, was in air quotes, what I thought my lifelong desire should be, to be like everyone else, going through life two by two, with a white picket fence and dogs and dishes. All of that was what I thought the time with Shannon was offering me. What I'd forgotten conveniently and totally by my own stubborn choice was that being like everyone else has never been who I am, not ever. When I was finally able to get to the other side of the grief, to get to the place of accepting that truth about myself, I was able to fully realize and feel grateful for this reality. That without Shannon, there would have been no San Francisco, no Boise, none of the fun and hilarious adventures we shared, And most importantly, I would not have the wonderful brown dog known as Maddie. I didn't get to the other side of that grief for a while though, and any concrete understanding of how love was supposed to show up in my life was still a long way off.
1: I see love as a glass ball Tossed gently out into the air Catching light as it flies To the hands of the chosen My glass is not quite perfect
0: a conscious decision to not share what was happening in my personal life with the Spiritstone community. I didn't want any distractions from my work as a minister and the message I was bringing to the folks who showed up each Sunday. It was the message that was the focus. That was absolutely the most important thing to me. When Shannon wasn't there, if I was asked where she was, I would tell the truth. She's hiking or working or doing something that she needed to do. And it was all fine. The little church was my dream and nothing was going to get in the way of creating a safe and spiritual place and making it available to those who chose to attend. Shannon continued to support Spiritstone on the business end of things. Finances, getting the talks up on YouTube, getting the weekly emails out. I appreciated her for doing this because, as I've said before, none of those things were my strengths. After a couple of months staying with dear friends, Maddie and I found the perfect home for us. It was our own sacred cave. Our windows looked out onto the tops of the trees, making it feel like we were in that retreat at the top of Mount Subasio in Assisi. And I bought myself a special table, handmade, and a chair to go with it. And I claimed that space as my writing area. I was going to write a book. Two people helped me the most to get the writing process jump-started. First was the resplendent Alison Wilson, a dear friend, confidant, and spiritual sister. Allison does all kinds of amazingly creative work through expressive art therapy. She offered to come to my home and record an interview with me talking about my vision for the book I wanted to write. I still have those recordings. She helped me find direction and to begin to think of myself as a writer. The second person was the wonderful Cheryl Welch. You heard her voice in today's intro. She has an online magazine called Wormwood Press. She encouraged me to submit a piece for one issue, and I did. The experience of being published was thrilling. I've continued submitting pieces to Wormwood as I'm able to. Cheryl's support made such a difference to me. I also began submitting writing pieces to the website Medium. It's kind of like YouTube for writers. Just this experience of writing something, putting it out into the world, and having people read and respond to it, I was feeling like I was on the path I wanted to be walking. The world outside of our sweet sacred cave, however, was a different story. Navigating the experience of living in Anchorage, a truly small town, and sharing many of the same friends as Shannon was becoming more and more tricky every day. There were very few places I could go to sing or interpret or meet up with friends where our paths wouldn't cross. And it was painful and awkward for a few reasons. Two of my closest friends, both living in cities in New York state, were always at the ready to take my calls, listen to me, support me, and remind me that I've been through worse and I could survive this. What I love so much about these two friends is that they represent the two extremes that I really needed in my life at that moment. One is so empathetic and gentle, always responding with a tender voice saying, I know I'm here kind of like the mother elephant in Dumbo when she sings the lullaby to her baby The other well she's more direct in her approach like Maud chiding Harold in the great film Harold and Maud Get up Rachel move on from this you can do it The balance provided by these two amazing women along with the heavy lifting being done in my therapy sessions with Sarah, made it possible for me to get strong enough to make a very big decision. That decision? (laughs) To leave Alaska. Once again, after too short a time working with Kelly and the kids at the treatment agency, I had to tell her I was leaving. This time, we both were sad about it. We had long talks, discussing options, and always coming back to the same conclusion each time. Kelly organized an absolutely beautiful goodbye chapel for all of the kids to attend at once in a big circle in the gym. There was singing, sharing, and then Kelly set up a long piece of twine with a basket of colored ribbons. The offer was this. If they felt comfortable doing so, the kids could come up one at a time, tie a ribbon onto the twine rope and share their positive thoughts, prayers, or words of goodbye to me. Yeah, a whole lot of tears were flowing that day. There was one young man who I had talked quite a bit with about faith and his lack of it. I always invited him to every gathering or group we had to offer. He never attended. When the Goodbye Chapel was announced, I asked him if he would be willing to come to it. I wanted him to know that it meant something to me to have him join us for that. Not only did he attend, he walked up to the twine rope, tied a ribbon onto it, and just took a moment to make eye contact with me. He didn't need to say a word, more tears, (laughs) tears of gratitude, of loss for the gift of connection and the gift of grief and of saying goodbye. That twine rope with all of those ribbons on it still hangs in my house today. There were so many goodbyes to say. As clear as I was that it was time for me to leave, it didn't make the leaving any easier. When I had first moved to Alaska, it had felt like my life expanded, opened up wide. And now it was feeling like it was closing in, like I couldn't breathe as deeply as I once did. It was clear that it was time to go. It was also hurting me to go. It seemed that with each person I told, the reality of it would sink in a little deeper. And I still had yet to find some way of telling my beloved Spiritstone community that I was leaving. I put that off for as long as I could. It wasn't until June that I made the announcement that we would be having our last gathering. I wanted to be sure I was leaving with a message of inspiration while also being honest about what was happening and what lay ahead for all of us. As I researched for and wrote the talk, I came across a poem called, I Go Down to the Shore by the wonderful Mary Oliver. I go down to the shore in the morning and depending on the hour, the waves are rolling in or moving out. And I say, Oh, I am miserable. What shall, what should I do? And the sea says in its lovely voice, excuse me, I have work to do. That was the message I wanted to convey right there. My final spirit stone talk was called work to do. In the description for the YouTube video, I wrote, sometimes our work to do is to see the beginning in the ending. Sometimes it's to believe what we can't see. Sometimes it's to trust. It's always to be grateful. The talk covered a lot of ground. (laughs) I spoke about beginnings and endings and how they were always connected. A marriage begins when an engagement ends. A birth signifies the ending of a pregnancy. Even graduating from school is called commencement. All endings are beginnings of something else. And in our lives, we all have work to do. To be kind when we feel impatient, to help when we feel tired, to speak out when we're most afraid, to show love in the face of any appearance of the opposite, and most importantly, as Ram Das teaches, to walk each other home. Of course, I was talking to myself as much as I was speaking out loud. Looking back on it, I have to smile because in the midst of everything that was going on, that was a really good talk. As for that gratitude piece, that is the lesson that has saved my life over and over. This time, it was going to have to be the teacher, showing me the way to feel gratitude in the midst of change, loss, and turmoil. There was a lovely group in attendance for the last Spirit Stone gathering. In addition to the talk, I also wanted to incorporate some ritual to help the folks who had supported me, and of course to help me too, deal with the ending of our time together. I purposefully and prayerfully cleansed and blessed every single stone that we used each Sunday, and I brought them in as gifts. Everyone was allowed to take as many stones as they wanted with them. We sang, we laughed, And we cried. And there was a lot of hugging. Indeed. Grateful. Quick disclaimer before this next song. Although this particular recording you're going to hear was from a different gathering, this song was always a favorite of mine and many others. No matter what was going on, singing this song always brought a smile. Bye. trickiest logistic problems I had to solve was dealing with all of my stuff. I just had too much stuff, and most of it was carried with me everywhere I moved because of sentimental attachments. It was time to lose some weight. A precious bookcase that I absolutely loved, a groovy shelf unit with a clock in it, a stunning art deco dresser, and cartons and cartons of books, CDs and DVDs were released. A lot of the more quirky and fun things were gifted. I am so blessed to have friends who understand me. From the first assessment the movers did to the final agreement and packing day, 1,000 pounds of my life was set free. And although that felt liberating, which it definitely did. The grief was starting to pile up like cars trapped in a traffic jam on the highway. The logistic planning for the drive had already begun and I was calling it the Camino Sagrado, sacred way in Spanish. Through some kindness, after some authentically tragic crying at the dealership, I was able to upgrade my car to the 2015 model of the exact same car I already had. Dubbed Claire 2, obviously, because the first one was Claire. I got her a full checkup and an appointment for a luxurious detailing. I bought the latest version of the milepost. If any of you have driven any of the highways in and to Alaska, you know this book. And also a giant Atlas. I even organized our Camino Sagrado binder. It had inspirational poems and quotes, song lyrics, and zippered pouches to hold receipts and any other mementos from the road. The choice of destination was the big question, and the answer was made very clear to me. Our new home would be Ithaca, New York, After one of those two women I spoke of earlier, the one who's like the mother elephant in Dumbo, after she asked me where I was planning to move, I had selected Eugene, Oregon. She asked if I knew anyone there. I told the truth. No, I did not know anyone there. It just sounded like a good place for me to land, get a job delivering the mail or something like that, and sort of just, you know, disappear. Her response was a predictable, big, loud, no. (laughs) She made her case even more convincing when she offered to help me find a place in Ithaca. And she pointed out that it was not so far a drive from Cleveland, where my mom lives, and Rochester, where the other voice of reason lives. So the destination became Ithaca. I would be driving 4,233 miles across the entire country. This meant that by the time I reached Ithaca, I would have been in all 50 states. At that time, I only had three left to visit. It also meant that I could go see my sister who had just recently moved to Denver. And it meant that I could finally get to the two places I had been longing to see, Devil's Tower in Wyoming and the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa. The timing was also working out because it meant that I would reach Cleveland in time to celebrate Rosh Hashanah with my mom. So if you haven't noticed yet, I had a lot going on. Planning, packing, releasing, saying goodbye, cleaning, donating, preparing, organizing. All of that made it so easy for the hum to get drowned out. Excitement is an excellent tool for keeping depression at bay. For a while. I was cool with that, and I just rolled with it. My biggest concern was the first part of the journey, the part on the Alaska Highway. There aren't a whole lot of places to stop on that road. It isn't like driving the highways of the lower 48. It's possible to drive for hours and not see another vehicle or person or gas station or bathroom. I needed to be fully prepared for anything that might happen. And the truth is I knew that I couldn't be. I mean, I probably could change a tire if I absolutely had to. However, my car was going to be full and I would have Maddie with me and I would be alone. So I started asking around to see if anyone wanted to join me, just for that part of the trip. I could drop them off in Seattle or Great Falls, Montana, and they could fly home from there. Everyone I asked really wanted to do it. Azel, Joan, Harvey, Colleen, Mark, they all thought it would be so cool and fun. And none of them could do it. This was one of those moments when missing Carl was the worst because I know that he would have jumped at the chance to do it. He wasn't there anymore though. Being the spiritual person that I am, one would think that I would be fine with this, accepting it as part of some divine plan. Well, one would be forgetting that I'm also still human, I was seriously questioning the big kahuna about what the larger plan was here. Was I supposed to drive the Alcan by myself? Was this symbolic in some way? Was it like that bike ride I did after the hospital back in 1988? Was this some kind of test? I wasn't sure. What I did know was that I was going to be driving 4,233 miles alone. Well, I'd have Maddie with me just no other human beings. A couple of weeks before we were to leave, I organized the Camino Sagrado farewell gathering. At a local picnic pavilion on an absolutely perfect August day in Anchorage, friends from every part of my life gathered to say goodbye. Everyone brought food, of course. (laughs) It was so beautiful to see all of these people meeting and talking from the spiritual center where I had served, to Spirit Stone, to the different places I worked, to the woman who cut my hair, to those I made music with or for, to interpreting partners, even the magical artist who gave me some of my most beautiful tattoos. They all were there. Each time I said goodbye to someone, my inner bank of gratitude took in another deposit. I was truly full by the end of that day. The morning Maddie and I were leaving Alaska, the wonderful friends we were staying with helped us get the last of the boxes into the car and get us both situated. Two of my sweet spirit sisters came to say goodbye. And one said that she would drive behind me to the highway entrance, like Glinda and the Munchkins, dancing Dorothy to the edge of Munchkin land. It was a good thing she did because as we started out, I realized that I had zero visibility. The majority of my belongings had gone with the movers. I only had in the car what was going to be needed to live for a month or so until the rest of the stuff arrived. Well, I had too much in there. And so Colleen, my Glinda, stopped with me at the post office near the highway and sat with Maddie as I bought a couple of boxes and packed some more stuff up to ship. With those boxes gone, we could see out of all of the windows, have a cool snack station within arm's reach. Maddie had her own area on the passenger seat and we were all set. Colleen and I hugged one more time and then as promised, she followed Claire too, to the highway entrance. And then we were on our way. As an aside here, Harvey and I had recently started doing these morning text check-ins with each other. A few months earlier, I had read an article about a curmudgeonly man in New York City who died in his apartment and no one knew for over two weeks. He never went anywhere, he didn't work, he didn't have friends and no one in his building knew him. It was tragic and scary because Harvey was something of a curmudgeon as well. I asked him at that time if we could start texting each other in the morning just to confirm that we both woke up. He agreed. And through texting, he did make the drive with us on our Camino Sagrado. He would check in with me in the morning, ask me my route. He had his own map and actually asked about specific places I would be stopping. I would check in periodically during the day to report in. Stop for some ball throwing with Maddie. Took a short nap in a turnout, stuff like that. And then when we arrived at our stopping point for the night, I would let him know where we were. Our days looked like this. Up at 4.30, shower, breakfast, taking care of Maddie, pack up the car with what we took out for the night and be on the road by 6.30. And we would drive until about 5 p.m. each evening. And it was Harvey, thank goodness, who schooled me on a time zone shift that I completely missed somewhere in Canada, I was so proud to be up and out on time, and he pointed that I was actually an hour late getting ourselves moving. Being on the road with Maddie was pure joy. She'd sleep a while, sit up and look out the window for a while, let me know when she needed a break, which was not often, and she'd occasionally paw at my arm to let me know she wanted some attention. She also learned how to keep me from texting while driving. If I even picked up my phone just for a moment, she would cry and pull at my arm with her paw. I got the message. When there was construction, and there's always construction on the Alaska Highway, if we were able to slow down long enough, I would roll the window down and she'd stick her head out to smell the new strange air we were in. At one construction slowdown, we met a man who had run from his car to relieve himself in the woods. (laughs) He came by for a visit and a little chat with Maddie, and me too. It was so sweet. Much to my surprise, we actually had a handful of memorable encounters with lovely and kind people while driving the Alcan. And one of the highlights of that drive is, of course, in the Yukon. It was there that we encountered the bison herd that roams that stretch of the highway. I've seen them a few times and it is always breathtaking. I started filming a bit with my phone and lowered the window just enough for Maddie to sniff. It was ridiculously hilarious when she actually growled at the bison. I mean, seriously, they are huge. At the end of our long days of driving, we would arrive at the motel and Maddie was a stellar guest. I'd get the room, bring her in before getting what I needed from the car, and she would immediately choose her spot on the bed. She's the best. (laughs) I would forage for some dinner for me, put the Atlas and Milepost out to review and plan, and we would watch a little TV. Strange thing. No matter where we stopped along the road, the Big Bang Theory was always the only good thing on the television. Even more strange was that it was always one or two of the same episodes in each place, from the Yukon through British Columbia to Montana to Iowa, the whole way, the Big Bang Theory. That still makes me laugh. We only encountered one major incident involving Maddie, and I have to tell it to you without her in the room because, honestly, She gets this look of absolute embarrassment when I tell this story. Okay, she just figured out that I'm telling it, so I'll give you all the abridged version. While driving on the grounds of Devil's Tower, I pulled over to take a photo out of my window. I heard a sound, and I turned around just in time to see sweet little Maddie's butt as she was leaping out of the car window in pursuit of what she thought was one prairie dog. When she landed, about 50 prairie dogs popped up all around her. And they were not happy. She turned back to look at me, absolutely terrified. I was screaming and threw the car door open. She ran back in and curled up shaking on the floor of the front seat. She was fairly glued to me for that whole night and for several days after. That nightmare was pushed aside by the time we reached Iowa. We both were beyond thrilled to be able to visit the Field of Dreams. It's the movie site of the farm and the baseball field and the house where people actually live. We walked the field, visited the corn. We even paused to listen for anyone who might be trying to come through. (laughs) The day was so beautiful. A perfectly blue sky, sunshine and not too warm and we had nowhere else to be. We sat down on the bleachers next to the first baseline, you know, where Doc walked across to save little Karen after she choked on the hot dog, I love that movie. And we hung out for a time, watching the other people enjoying the field. Parents playing catch with their kids, one guy running the bases, some people standing in the outfield, everyone smiling, just so happy. I knew right then that we would return to this place at some point. The drive became a bit more challenging as we went from the open sky and open roads of Wyoming, Nebraska, and Iowa, to the chaotic and crowded traffic of Chicago and Indianapolis. It was kind of crazy to see the world shrink in that way. We arrived in Cleveland for the Jewish New Year and then headed on our way to Ithaca, our destination our new home. In the Camino Sagrado binder, I carried the poem Ithaca by the Greek poet Constantine Cavafis. I'll share a bit of it here. As you set out for Ithaca, hope your road is a long one, full of adventure, full of discovery. Lyce Dragonians Cyclops, Wild, Poseidon, you won't encounter them unless you bring them along inside your soul. Unless your soul sets them up in front of you. Keep Ithaca always in your mind. Arriving there is what you're destined for. Ithaca gave you the marvelous journey. Without her, you wouldn't have set out. And if you find her poor, Ithaca won't have fooled you. Wise as you will have become, so full of experience, you'll have understood by then what these Ithacas mean. I was in Ithaca now with Maddie. I had no idea what was ahead for me.
1: Somewhere comes a vision, and you'll be living there. How did you see it? How do you know? Follow your vision, start as you mean to go. Snacks and tea, my buddy and me, across the country we would move, how did we see it, how did we know, followed our vision, start as you mean to stone goes into the pond. It thinks its work is done. journey that's now begun.
0: Thank you so much for listening to I Wasn't Always Like This, an uplifting podcast about living with depression. Great news. If you were part of the pre-order campaign for the book, I will begin packing and sending them out in this coming week. They're going by media mail, so please be patient. I am super excited to get them to you. Once we have fulfilled all of those orders and any needed for upcoming events, we hope to have some books for sale. If you'd like to get on a waiting list for a book, please head to my website, RevRachelHollander.com. That's Rev, R-E-V as in Valerie, RachelHollander.com and click on the contact tab to let us know. Also, please check out the wonderful interview that my friend Lisa Luca did with me for her online radio show. You can find it at LiveTrueCoach.com. Dot com. That's LiveTrueCoach.com and click on the Live True Radio Show tab. As always, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your continued support.